0: Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Analytics Podcast, brought to you by Emory's Marketing Analytics Center. Joined today by Doug Battle. Sometimes I like to just start off with just taking it off the rails. Doug, you see this product I'm drinking here?
1: What in the world? Okay, so he's holding up Dr. Pepper. But cream soda. It's cream soda? What? When did that become a thing? I haven't seen the okay. ads for that. It's. I mean, it's just a thing, but what has become a thing? And
0: I understand that this is largely sold out is that there's a texas ice cream company called blue bell who has partnered with a texas brand and dr pepper to make an ice cream product called dr pepper float with oh, yeah. the blue bell vanilla ice cream and the dr pepper sherbert and sherbet, yeah sherbert and instantly Sold out. I wasn't even intending on going here, but when I said Emory Marketing Analytics Center, I was like, Yeah, we should talk marketing once in a while. So, like this two this idea of these two Texas brands with literal fan bases put these right. products together and just sells out. But and you're not aware of this product, are you? No.
1: Bluebell is fantastic, first okay. off. Probably my favorite ice cream if I could have dairy. Back in my dairy days. Bluebell was it, <laughs> And it's just weird to me that they're mixing it with Sherbert because I thought a float was if you just mixed ice cream with the drink.
0: Well, I think this is how you replicate it. But you kind of <laughs> want that product, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. it weren't sold out, I'd be there. Kind of fun, right? I mean, it's a beautiful manifestation of fandom, right? It's like, it's like two brands that both have a special place in the heart of consumers. Put them together and it's like, oh, you got to have that. Okay, so, Doug. Speaking of
1: beautiful manifestation of fandom, Mike, did you see the Boston fan sitting behind Charles Barkley on the TNT set last week wearing a green shirt? I don't know if this was custom made. It says it's just a list. It's just no design work at all. Everything's set to the far left. I mean, if it's not custom made, this story gets even better, doesn't it? Yeah, so it says Putin, ISIS, Kim Jong-un, and Kyrie. So apparently they're ranking uh, like people on a scale of... I'm, I'm assuming Kyrie's the worst of those four. So Putin's is apparently the best, according to Boston fans. <laughs> it might be problematic. But no, so Mike, I'm actually looking. There is a link to the shirt. So those are for sale on the internet. So there's more than one person that owns that shirt in Boston. Well, it's a beautiful shirt, Doug, because you. as you were
0: saying it looked like a seventh grader made it. Yes. The way they did the graphics and sort of line things up. Nothing is evenly spaced. It has no no aesthetic appeal whatsoever. And you're reading, I mean, but it even look, I'm going to give them credit because as you're reading down your list, you're kind of going, well, this is is interesting. What's happening here. And then you get to Kyrie. It's (laughs) like, Oh, (laughs) that all makes sense.
1: Yeah. So apparently Boston hasn't forgiven Kyrie for the way he handled his departure. Kyrie Irving, every stop he's been at has promised he's going to be there for the rest of his career, and within a year of that promise has departed. He did it in Cleveland. He did it in Boston, famously. And, I mean, before the start of the season, he goes on the microphone in front of the whole arena saying, I'm not leaving, like, Boston's my home. And sure enough, he leaves and then says he's not leaving Durant. Next thing you know, they're both out of Brooklyn. And uh, uh, he's he's gained some hatred over the course of his career between that and his, what's your term, Mike, for Kyrie's unorthodox views on things? (laughs) Independent thinker? Independent thinker. Yeah. For his independent thinking. He has some critics for that as well. So love seeing that. But man, Celtics Heat has been a series for the ages. Mm -hmm. It's historic no matter what goes down in this series because... Well, First off, if Boston were to come back, no team's ever come back from 3-0, period, in the NBA. I think it's happened 150 times. The team's gone up 3-0. Never has a team come back from that. So Boston would be the first team to do so. It's happened in the NHL, LA Kings, Stanley Cup run, 2014. Uh, but this is the first time in 20 years that a Game 7 was forced after a team being down 0-3. So, yeah. It's a good thing. I
0: mean, it it reminds you of how this stuff is supposed to be, right? You know, this is the most memorable series of the playoffs so far, easily,
1: right? Yeah. So this is a number from uh, Emory student Jaden Rothschild. So after being up 10 points with less than four minutes left, Boston, in in the game that would force a Game 7, they were given a 97.9% chance of winning at that point, four minutes left in the game. So Miami had a 2.1% chance of winning with four four minutes left and they're up with 0.1 seconds left (laughs) with three seconds left but they're still up with 0.1 seconds left and then of course Derek White puts up the tip in for the win on the road Miami fans are celebrating because they think he didn't get it off come to find out he did just absolute chaos and so now you're looking at again a situation where Boston makes history if they make the finals coming being the first team to come back from down 3 Miami makes history if they make the finals,
0: mm-hmm.
1: being, I guess, the first eight seed to make it finals, I believe. And then in the final, the Denver Nuggets have never won an NBA final. So you've got a team that's chasing its first NBA championship, playing against, either way, a team that's had something historical happen to be there. It's almost like we talked a couple weeks ago about best case scenario for the NBA being Lakers-Celtics. And I still think they would have preferred that. But we always talk about how the NFL always wins. It feels like this postseason the NBA wins no matter what happens.
0: Yeah, but Doug, does it I'm with you hundred percent? I mean, the series has been the series has been great. There's been some, you know, amazing like sometimes we talk about fandom videos. There's one I saw on Instagram this morning where it's a bunch of Heat fans just talking trash to a boston fan and he's just turning back to him he's wearing a brady jersey of all things and just going three seconds three seconds (laughs) you know just the tone of the fan bases or you know i mean the other thing going on is you know dave portnoy from barstool has been very active in this space where you know he had a shirt printed up for like you know boston a sweep and then he had one boston
1: five boston and six it might turn into boston and eight pretty soon
0: but it just shows the absolute passion and hunger that especially, you know, a fan base out of Boston is going to have, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. I've said this multiple times, you know, Boston is, and it kind of pains everyone that doesn't live in Boston, probably the best sports city in America. And it's kind of interesting though, as you know, I had the other example of the Celtics fan with the, I want to think it's a custom made t-shirt, Doug. I don't want to think those are a production. They're hunt. for
1: sale. I'm telling you they're for sale. <laughs> But just
0: the you know the, the absurd passion and how and especially after a little bit of a drought, if you know that city will explode Jason Tatum will you know reach a new level in in yeah. terms of NBA fandom and passion. And so this is a case study. but here's my question to you. For us, we're watching this stuff. And so we're looking at this as oh God, this is a great storyline either way. Does the rest of America even
1: know? No. These games are gonna be in Denver. Is anyone gonna watch these? I think basketball fans, like people who follow the NBA, are loving this, like more so than they would be loving Lakers Celtics. But no, the general public, I don't think it's the most appealing scenario. <laughs> Jokic versus Jimmy Butler or Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. An
0: appealing scenario. I think it won't even occur on their it won't even appear on their radar. And I think yeah, that's I, that's part of the dilemma. Like if it's LeBron, you know, the hype machine will go in full gear. When it's Jokic, you know, ask people on the street, is the NBA finals going on?
1: I suspect a well, would say I have no idea. I'm also curious with Jokic if there's more of an appeal abroad. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like of course Where he's from, there will be. But I don't know in general if just international players in general draw interest in the international sphere outside of their home countries more so than national superstars. I'd be interested to learn about that. But I I think you're right, Mike. I think that I'll tell you you one quick fact on that because I saw this
0: earlier in the week, or maybe it was this morning as well. That when the first time I'm Yao Ming played against Shaq. I think the number I saw was over 220 million people watched it in China.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Versus, you know, 90 million people watched the Super Bowl that year. I think it was 2003. Now, what I don't know is what European interest in NBA looks like. You know, I don't know how loyal they are to, you know, their professional leagues and how much, you know, crossover appeal there is. But I think it's, look, the NBA has long wanted to be an international league. So, again, maybe we are setting this up where the NBA always wins. LeBron kind of blows up. Jokic makes this the most watched NBA championship series in Europe ever, perhaps.
1: Yeah, I think if you're the league, you can always look at it and view it as an opportunity, no matter what happens. And I think that's the situation we're in. I just, Mike, as a fan, I can't recall in my lifetime an NBA playoffs that have been this unpredictable. If anyone's been listening to the podcast, you've heard over and over again me in the last... Three, four, five, six weeks, make predictions that have not come true. And frankly, for the longest time in my life, the NBA was just so predictable that you could just say, oh, yeah, it's going to be Cavs, it's going to be Warriors, it's going to go to six or seven games. You know, so it's like it almost doesn't even matter until you get to that point. This year's just been a total free for all. I mean, a week ago, we were talking about Boston's coach looking like he was done, the Boston players looking like they had quit. I know on social media there are people on being critical of Boston relative to the Lakers and saying, yeah, the Lakers lost, but Boston quit. Like this Boston team is done. The Lakers still have a shot. They still have fight in them. And as we've seen, like even though Boston appeared to be totally out of it, and like I am on record saying they're done. They are done a week ago. Jimmy Butler's that guy. You know, he's got that that Jordan Kobe DNA in him where he's well, literally, maybe Jordan's. I know there's people that think he's Michael Jordan's kid, just like people think Anthony <laughs> Edwards is. No, that's a whole thing, Mike. I'm serious. I, can... I have seen that. It's like I yeah,
0: think we, we Doug. If we're gonna speculate on parentage, problematic parentage, we should just stick with the royal family, Prince Harry and Diana. I think that's and the, the horse queen. trainer.
1: Is that yeah? The, well, the polo player. I forget. <laughs> yeah, polo, whatever, something with a horse. Yeah, but anyway, that's where the conversation was a week ago. And now it's like about how, you know, which speech was the one that changed things for Boston. And tonight's game seven. So by the time most people listen to this, it'll be over. But going into it, it's like, I'll say this. Part of me wanted to come on here and say, there's no way Boston loses this thing after winning three straight and now playing at home. On the flip side, there's part of me. It's like, it's been so bananas that Miami goes out and wins on the road because they play at their best when they're doubted and people are doubting them right now that's their comfort zone that's their sweet spot Eric Spolstra after game six in the press conference saying we wish we could play them right now like they are hungry that I had read they already booked their flights to Denver for game one of the NBA finals for the team and, and I'd seen some commentary on that saying it's odd to go to Denver instead of Cancun when you're eliminated from the playoffs. (laughs) But I I think that at this point, I'm overthinking it in terms of predictions. I'm like, I want to pick Boston, but since I've been wrong about everything and that's what I think is going to happen, I guess I'll pick Miami. (laughs) I don't know, but I love it. I'm locked in tonight. When the game's on, I'm locked in because I have no idea what's going to happen. And I think as sports fans, I think we crave that. I think we crave unpredictable. And I think the worst case scenario tonight is that Boston wins by 30 or I mean, Miami wins by 30 seems less likely, but I mean, if game seven is anything like game six, it is going to shatter all kinds of conference finals records.
0: Well, Doug, I looked it up while we were, while you were
1: talking and the Celtics are favored by seven and a half points. That's crazy. In a game seven. Wow. I (laughs) I'm tempted to. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Anything could happen. Anything could happen. And in the finals, anything could happen. I know historically, uh, if a team sweeps and another team, got, this is another one from Jaden. Another team goes to seven games. The team that sweeps in the conference finals is four and two in NBA finals history against teams that have gone to seven yeah, games.
0: Uh, I'm with you. Like I mean, I think we've all been conditioned by the nba to expect the narratives and the storylines to work right so the idea that this game seven is going to have a seven or an eight point margin it feels like the line should be like two doesn't it
1: yeah if this but like i said looking ahead denver chasing their first championship boston ending what is considered a drought in boston although like i don't know what was it kevin garnett those years so it's been a while but at the same time it's been a lot longer for Denver. <laughs> and of course, Miami's last one with LeBron in Miami prior to the bubble. Yeah, so it's been a minute for them as well. It's so like, it, I guess the thing is, let me let me ask you this: just thinking back on this season,
0: Lakers making it to the conference championship is that a failure? It's a decent year for where that team was. Well, at. I mean, it's always going to feel like. like
1: a with LeBron if you don't win it all right but here's my thing with that it reminds me of Alabama's football season this year this year Alabama had the most talented team in Alabama history and all this stuff and by the end of the year everyone convinced themselves that Nick Saban did a great job to win as many games as he did with the team that he had it was great coaching it was great playing by Bryce Young and wow what a job they did that's how I feel about the Lakers where it's like the goal was to win a championship to do it with a five foot six quarterback, I think is well, happens the, to goal- be the pick in the draft, right? It's, I mean, it seems like
0: that's the story they want to tell in right. at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was like this underdog story for Alabama. And it's like, to me, that's a joke. And I feel the same way with the Lakers, where like now people are saying, wow, this is a team that hard, I don't know, did they even make the playoffs last year or hardly made the playoffs? They were 500 maybe a year ago to make it as far as they did in the Western Conference finals. Is straight up impressive. Shows a lot about LeBron. And don't get me wrong; I think LeBron had a great season. But for a team that has Anthony Davis and LeBron James to in and, and Los Angeles, where there's 17 banners, you know, I don't think there are any moral victories. And I, for one, am not incredibly impressed. My expectation is to at least, if that's my squad, if that's my roster, my ex, and I'm the Lakers. My expectation is to at the very least make the western conference finals
0: the lakers it's complicated
1: okay <laughs> sure
0: for denver is this a this is a complete success right you've moved oh, yeah. to, you've moved to a better zip code you you now have the best player in the league almost undisputed at least for the moment okay for miami this is also a win. great season if boston loses tonight i think those fans are
1: mad i think they're talking about firing the coach yeah, I think it's, it really it's crazy because yeah. it's like if they win this, yeah, yeah, if they win this and they win the, if they win this and they win the next series, that guy's getting a contract for the next team. He's getting paid. He's Boston royalty forevermore. If they lose tonight, it's the story is that this team would have done it with the right coach. Because I don't know if you remember, Mike. Doug, do you think it, it's also. Tatum's a nice
0: player, but he's not the guy. He's not the guy to take on the legacy of bird and Russell.
1: Yep. I think it's kind of that. I think he's still in that Devin Booker territory of puts up great numbers during the season. Fun player to watch doesn't have that it factor. And I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying, as far as narrative, that is how I think it's going to be perceived. And so, it's so pivotal for these guys. The Boston coach, who, by the way, some of the most entertaining press conferences I've ever seen. Last week, I thought he was done after that Game 3 loss, and he looked just totally out of it, totally dejected, kept blaming himself over it. it was like he wanted to get fired. Almost was like he had a death wish in his press conference. But I've watched his press conferences in the game since then where they've won. Same guy. Dude has no personality. He does not. I mean, it's like he doesn't blink when he's up there. And... One interesting subplot of this whole thing that I personally love was that his college career came to an end at the hands of Jimmy Butler. And yeah. so oh, how poetic would it be for either way, if Butler were to do it again, or if he were to get his revenge and the Eastern Conference finals. And uh, after all of Butler's taunting in game two and three, uh, putting, sending him, you know, to Cancun, it's, man, it, it is such a great series. So many great storylines. And I I just can't wait for tonight, Mike. I know that this is going to air before or after rather the game. And I'm hoping that next week we're talking about what a game seven it was. Well, regardless, I mean, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Right. Because
0: if like you said, if Boston wins, then, you know, that, you know, elite NBA brand has got it rolling again. And now they're taking on sort of this no name. This no name team in Denver with this, you know, great European player. But if they lose, it'll be either way, it'll be interesting for we can come back
1: to this next week and see what the reaction to that game is in, in either direction. Well, I'm curious if Boston wins and they go on, let's say Boston wins the whole thing. Are they making a movie about this team, this playoffs? Because I don't know if you I don't know if you've seen this film, Mike. But the last Boston team to win a championship under very similar circumstances was the Boston Red Sox breaking the curse of Bambino and Jimmy Fallon starring in the movie about it. Fever Pitch, a rom-com centered around that baseball season. I would say it's a must-watch rom-com for sports fans. I know that's not a thing that gets said a lot. Must-watch rom-com for sports fans.
0: Doug, who was the female lead in that rom-com?
1: Drew uh, Drew Barrymore
0: are you guessing
1: i mean it's a oh, hold on hold on i'm just i you know sometimes i guess these actors and actresses mixed up let's see jimmy fallon drew barrymore yeah yeah i was right it's the first time we've gone down the rom-com path
0: I, I Mike, have feedback. you seen it have, have you seen it? seen it i have not seen it doug it is
1: it's my second favorite rom-com
0: <laughs> doug what's your what's your favorite rom-com
1: <laughs> Crazy wow. Stupid Love <laughs> with Steve Carell.
0: Good. stuff. I've also not seen that. <laughs> um, man. you know, we can transition to a little bit. How are we've been watching Ted Lasso together for years now? Yeah, yeah.
1: Are you are you caught up? There, Mike. I hate it, but I am caught up, and I feel like they've been reeling me back in. I was losing it with this show, yeah. but that whole the whole dynamic between Jamie Tart and Roy Kent, man, that that is. <laughs> golden that is golden television it's a beautiful bromance and to not to it. mention the love triangle with Keeley in the mix as well
0: i've kind of
1: i've kind of softened my stance on it as well i mean i, I, I was a so- hater i was a hater like a couple weeks in
0: that i don't hate the, i don't hate it anymore i think it's poorly done in a lot of ways <laughs> at this point but i don't hate it so the manipulation has been has, has been sort of successful in terms of, you know, bringing me back in. I mean, there's some stuff in it that kind of, and look, I know we got to suspend belief. The one that I found myself kind of going back and forth on was the idea that, and again, I, you know, it's like, the, the, we always feel like we're going to get in trouble, but honest emotion that Nate quit his job as a manager in the English Premier League and I looked it up, and these jobs, those jobs, pay probably about five to ten to fifteen million dollars. Because his boss kept trying to set him up with models. Yeah, right. right. I, there's some of these elements of Ted Lasso that are like, you know, I know you got to move the story along,
1: but you know, you got to do. That's a rare guy. <laughs> <laughs> guy <laughs> that's statistically speaking that's a rare guy
0: his mom helped I, I enjoyed that that felt like it was going back to season one yeah but I yeah I mean, yeah they're getting me back the manipulation works i have a feeling i might shed a tear on
1: that final episode i i i hate it but it's like i keep finding myself like looking at is it wednesday yet and i'm like man i was hating on this show like three weeks ago and now i'm here like how's this gonna how are they gonna wrap this up how's this gonna what's going to go down between Roy and Keely what's going to go down with Jamie what's going to go down i mean i like i said i think those three are my that's the storyline and i think when they started lo- when keely kind of had her own plots uh, apart from those two and uh, i don't know when the characters s- felt like they were going in a direction that i couldn't see where it was going i was starting to lose interest but they brought i think it was when well spoiler alert turn it off if you haven't watched watch <laughs> this season The bike lessons from Jamie Tart to Roy Kent, and I don't. I mean, I don't know if you laughed as hard as I did, Mike, but uh, Jamie Tart's childhood bedroom, the uh, the posters on the wall in there, the two in particular. Uh, I'm trying not to spoil it, but I think if you've seen this season, you know what I'm talking about. I wasn't paying. You know, sometimes I watch this stuff kind of a little bit in the background. I wasn't looking at his wall, so I will. So he had a poster. (laughs) He had a poster of Roy Kent on his wall growing up. His dad or somebody mentioned his mom, Uh, who I thought was his sister mentioned that he worshiped him growing up. And then right next to it, there's a uh, inappropriate poster of Keely. And apparently he had a huge crush on her as well.
0: Well, I mean, and the funny thing, I mean, I legitimately, it's like most of the laughs that I've had the last few weeks have involved those guys. And so it really is this, I mean, when he's, when Jamie is giving a gift to Roy and tells him he intentionally front of Roy's niece and says, I misspelled your name with a, you know, a U instead of an yeah, E, yeah. you know, it doesn't feel like a comedy. So I, I guess the, those rare laugh lines, when it comes back to being a comedy, it's like, yeah, this is solid, but it's like they've spent so much time getting away from that, making us want to, you know, tug at the heartstrings because of mm. some trauma and, Rebecca, who's probably a billionaire's, you know, sports team owner, you know, no, they've.
1: I think it, when it, it feels preachy is when they start to yeah. lose me, when I feel like I'm being preached at. But when yeah. I'm in a, and when I'm wrapped up in a story about characters and, you know, it might have the same message, but it just doesn't feel like it's being stuffed on <laughs> my throat. Yes,
0: because that yeah. that's it, a great point. I feel like the, the other mistake they've made is a lot of the characters have not been adequate adequately developed for how much they expect us to care.
1: Yeah. Right? I think that's you know, fair. Like, like they introduce Collins kind of... And, and that's was, Right. And Van
0: Dam the goalie. It's like <laughs> these guys may have had less than a page of lines the entire series and now we're supposed to feel invested in their lives. And it's like, it's a little bit cheap, I think.
1: Yeah. And I'll say this uh, on the flip side. I've heard speculation of future seasons of Ted Lasso spinoff absent of the character Ted Lasso. And I was Mm -hmm. talking to a friend about this who was saying, you know, that's going to be like The Office without Michael Scott. (laughs) (laughs) On on this third season, though, I will say, I don't know if I've laughed a single time Ted Lasso has said anything. The first season, I laughed at everything that man said. It didn't even have to be funny. It was like his character alone was just funny to me and his little quick... But it gets... I, I it almost feel sacrilegious to say this. I, I, it's one of those things where, like, I think we're all thinking it. No one's saying it. He gets kind of annoying. Like, he, you start to f- feel like, okay, this is why his wife left him. This guy, <laughs> these constant, like, dad jokes do get kind of old and kind of <laughs> annoying. I sound like a terrible person right now. But you know, do you know what I mean? I haven't laughed this season from anything he's said or done. And I'm almost like, it's more about Roy Kent. So I'm like, if they make a show about Roy Kent and Jamie Tart and these guys and follow them, like I'll probably enjoy it just as much as season three. It's a good
0: It's a good question. I mean, I remember when this when the first season was coming down and we're watching it and I think we we even did a ranking of the characters. And I had Keely Jones, I think, at the very top as kind of the the glue character, and Ted Lasso up there. But yeah, I mean and look, I think it's an interesting thing that at the end of the day, the two best characters, and again, you know, could they can they carry, you know, fifty minutes a week? I don't know. But the two best characters are Jamie are Jamie, Jamie Tart, and Roy Kent. And I think it has something to do with you and I are drawn to this kind of classic sports show. This, you know, this optimist, this, this incredibly optimistic character and a fish out of water and all Mm -hmm. of cliches, but God, those are two really well-developed and understandable characters. And so, yeah, teach learning how to ride a bike you know sort of having this kind of you know love hate relationship (laughs) well very much they're getting up to work out at 4 30 in the morning but they still are you know terrible to each other in some ways it's i don't know
1: bromance is that what it is something i think it's a bromance and i think it's like a classic bromance i would say you mentioned the development of these characters i would say that I don't know if Ted Lasso has developed. I feel like they want us to think he has because they've emphasized yeah. his like mental health struggles more. But he's been having those this whole time. And nothing's really resolved with he still seem I guess he's like <laughs> the episode with his mom with the kind of F you and thank you part, I guess it's like he's learning how to like acknowledge his yeah. traumas and deal with them and not just distract himself and be funny all the time. And but Doug, I think that
0: comes back to this kind of manipulation, right? Where it was like so, they develop this ultra optimistic, kind of ultra dad joke, you yeah. know, hi, hyper dad joke character. And then, because mental health is topical, they throw that in as one of his dimensions. Yeah. Right. So, to me, it always felt kind of manipulative and forced, which is, I think, true with a lot of their subplots.
1: It's like if we were watching The Office and all of a sudden Michael Scott is dealing with ocd or something and it's not a joke like it's like in a very serious way it's just oh that's a little out of left field to be for the show it doesn't really feel Stanley has diabetes and yeah then an yeah. eating disorder right yeah. it, it's too much it doesn't feel native to the genre or to the the tone of the show and so that but the show's changed i mean it's kind of become more that than comedy and that's where i think recently it's starting to come back to its roots and that's where i'm starting to get roped back in and as they
0: wrap it all up right yeah as they
1: wrap it all up and i I was getting to the point of the development of jamie and roy kent i think my favorite arc in all of all of television was like steve harrington and stranger things which i know you haven't watched yet and you're going to have to catch up before season five. Fortunately for you, it's getting delayed like forever. Uh, those kids are going to be like 40 by the time it comes out. But just a yeah. classic like redemption arc where like Jamie Tart was the kind of the villain for a bit. And all of a sudden he's the most likable guy and almost too much. So Where are all of a sudden Roy wants him to go back to his old ways because he's a better competitor when he's and he's better for the team when he's a jerk. And I that's think a G rated way of saying it. I think that's it exactly on what the and on sort of what's good and what's
0: bad about this show. Jamie Tart was this he was a great sports villain. Like I mean yeah. even when he was a complete jerk in season 1, there was something very kind of fun and likable about him, right? I mean cuz we've all seen that kind of character. <laughs>
1: yeah. Then
0: he hit hard times. And so you could argue that Jamie Tart is by far the most well-developed character on that show. And it's not like he actually gets that much, that many lines, right? I think he disappeared for a lot of
1: season two, like right? He, he might get less screen time than four or five other characters on the show.
0: And, and Doug, I don't even know what's going on with his hair, but whatever it is, it's kind of inspired because it's sort of hateable to me. I can't even figure it out. And I suspect it's very kind of, I don't know, topical, popular. That's a legitimate hairstyle.
1: I don't know. I'm not <laughs> going to be wearing my hair like that on the podcast anytime soon. But Jamie Tark can pull it off. Um, yeah, and, and then Roy can, of course, on the flip side, like s- kind of still yeah, s- a beautiful one dimensional character, right? Yeah, he's like the most one dimensional <laughs> character and the best way it's like he's begrudgingly developing by like the marginal (laughs) increments and it pains him every single time. And it's hilarious to watch. And that's like, that's not something I've seen much of either. That's something kind of new to me, uh, not kind of a stereotypical arc or character. And I believe the actor is the one like writing that character. And it's hard to imagine him being anybody else. Like if I ran into that guy in real life, I would expect him to say a lot of F words and to have a soft spot for his niece and to have a love hate relationship with some prima donna soccer player. Uh, it just seems like that's who the actor is. And I think he's probably the most universally loved character on the show. Agreed. Agreed. Even though the first season, my mother couldn't stand him because of his language. <laughs> okay, Doug.
0: The other thing I want to talk about this week is I had a phone call from a reporter who's asking me about Aaron Rodgers' impact on the New York Jets. Yes. And, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question, right? And we're about to, in a week, we're going to put the NFL fan base rankings out there. So next week's episode, we'll predominantly focus on those. But why he was talking to me was a little bit different. It was like, which teams has the best vibe at the moment, right? So I'm not talking about sort of long-term fandom or long-term kind of I brand see. equity, but who's got the most positive buzz? And I think Aaron Rodgers has been inspired in that kind of stuff, right? You know, going to concert in Madison Square Garden.
1: <laughs> Was that uh, Taylor Swift? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we still got to do an episode for that. I think every celebrity and sports star and person I know has gone to that tour. <laughs> they've all got to touch. They've all got to
0: touch the Swifty. Right? We should, right? Because I mean, who would have Swifty has become a
1: word that everyone knows, well, we need to have an expert Swift fan on here. I'm a casual Swift fan, but we need a diehard Swiftie. If that's you and you're listening, like shoot me an email or something. We can try to work it out. We need to investigate that a little bit more. Or maybe it's Aaron Rodgers. Maybe he's the diehard one. <laughs> I, you know, I do. I have
0: a teenage daughter, Doug. We can probably find a, a Swiftie. But it's look when I teach at Emory and ask them what people are fans of. I mean, you're ama- It's amazing how many Swifties there are. In, in oh this yeah. world. Yep. But so. Aaron Rodgers has given some hope. Who else do you think out there in like the in the NFL has some genuine good vibes? I was, well, I think, like I could think like Baltimore with Lamar Jackson, but you know, is that oh, kind of a I painful, think painful I, one to get that done?
1: Yeah, I would actually. If I'm a Baltimore fan, I'm more excited about the offensive coordinator, Tom Munkin, out of Georgia. I'm telling you, I've thought for a long time that this guy is going to be a head coach or should be a head coach. In the NFL and pairing him, I think he's gonna I think there's I think there's gonna be a, a bit of a resurrection of prime Lamar Jackson this year under uh, Todd Monk and his OC. We'll have to see, but I'm I would be very optimistic. I think the biggest good vibes team right now, even though they lost the Super Bowl, is the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. And I might again be biased to this because they've drafted like a hundred Georgia players in the last two years and all those guys are like best friends, like going to the NFL and becoming millionaires together. But I, I just see like Jalen Hurts. I think they have so many teammates on that team from college. Like Alabama, their offense has like four or five guys from Alabama. Defense has like four or five, six guys from Georgia. Um, and those guys all knew each other in the same, in the recruiting circuits and stuff. So it's, they see the, it's the city of brotherly love. But it seems like that team has more of a brotherhood than any of the other. A lot of the NFL teams, it feels very, You know, these are professionals, and these guys are just adult, grown men who are going to do their job every day. And if they get traded, it's whatever. I don't feel like that with Philly. I feel like the players are as into it as the fandom and the fan base. I mean, the fan base in Philly, as we know, has always been elite, is in terms of burning trash cans after winning championships and dancing in the streets. So elite,
0: and but elite, but changing character. I think you know, it's like I don't think they're allowed to throw batteries at the players or ice balls at santa they claus santa claus
1: though that's elite yeah, that's an elite think fan think base that's a different generation you think that's still ha- i hope it's, it's just tra- ha- it's tradition at this point yeah.
0: well okay so philadelphia has just paid their quarterback they've continued to draft elite high profile talent so you think that's that's a fan base it's hey, look coming off a close super bowl i, I agree with
1: that That they feel like they're next in line to get there, perhaps. They're kind of a relatively young team in terms of they got a pretty young quarterback um, who's a leader, by the way, which I think is part of the good vibes I'm talking about. They've got, and they've got this underdog, you know, Jalen Hurts, ever since leaving Alabama, has had this underdog storyline and not being a top draft pick and not, you know, he, they've got this underdog mentality, which really like suits the kind of like cold or blue collar. Philadelphia kind of classic feel I, I think back to that movie uh, I think it was invincible about the basically the walk-on for the NFL team but it's like Philly has this history of being these kind of underdog gritty like hard-working guys and I think Jalen Hurts is that guy and so to have a quarterback like that, that fits the culture of the city so well and culture of the fan base so well I think is pretty unique and something that we don't see very often in the NFL and then like you know, to combine that with like a lot of young talent, AJ Brown at wide receiver, like a lot of their top players are young guys who are going to be there for the foreseeable future. And I think there's just a lot of optimism in Philadelphia. And I think people are excited. And I'm kind of on the bandwagon, which is a little bit weird, because I'm a Giants fan, and like lifelong Giants fan, and their rivals, the Eagles beat them, have broken my heart so many times, eliminate us from the playoffs so many times. But And this probably says something about Phantom, too. As a Georgia Bulldogs football fan, the Philadelphia Eagles on their roster have more football players who I know their story and feel like emotionally invested in somehow than the New York Giants do. The Giants might have two or three players like that. The Eagles have like five or six. And so I've caught myself and I know a lot of I know a lot of Falcons fans that feel this way. You know, that are from Georgia and seeing what the Eagles have done in the draft that feel like, am I becoming an Eagles fan? Like I care about those players more than I care about the team I pull for. And I, I do think part of my bias might be because of that, but immaculate vibes in Philadelphia right now.
0: I feel like that makes some sense. And actually, the Jets story is kind of different than the Eagles story, right? Eagles, yeah. The Eagles have been built essentially from the draft and the ground up, right? right. And it looks like the Eagles are positioned for a... The good vibes are because they're positioned for a long-term run. Maybe they're at where the Chiefs were a few years ago, where yeah. the and sort of maybe and on the other side the Jets have kind of they they've pulled off this coup, right? They got <laughs> the guy, and we'll see if it we'll see if it works. If it works, it's only going to work for for a couple of years. Okay, Doug. So I think we're going to wrap it up a little bit early. You know, on this discussion about sort of good vibes in the NFL is a nice segue. When we come back next week, we'll start talking about. NFL fandom, and I think well, we'll make a decision whether we we start from the top down or go from the bottom up. It's fun either way. There's usually there's you know very few surprises in terms of who's going to be on each end of these things, but you know the big one is always the folks that find themselves on the bottom always end up being much more angry than how the folks at the top find themselves being sort of thrilled to be there and now all that stuff will be out there at the website at www.fandomanalytics.com like share subscribe